In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Betches Media presents. Madam Speaker, Madam Vice President. You want to hang out with us? Get your vaccine. Vaccine, vaccine. And so I went to Human Resources. There are some things I just can't tell you uh, on air. The Betches Sub Podcast. A woman's problem, if you will. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman, and I'll be joined shortly by Millie Tamarez. And this is the Betches Up Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. Today, we're here with New York City Council member Carlina Rivera. She represents the second council district, which includes super diverse neighborhoods throughout the bottom east half of Manhattan, including the East Village and the Lower East Side, where she grew up. Since taking office in 2017, she's focused on everything, really, but mainly housing affordability, protecting small businesses, among other issues. And she's also the co-chair of the Women's Caucus, having sponsored legislation on gender equity, reproductive rights, and the wage gap. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. We're so excited. So today we're going to talk to you mainly about reproductive justice and Latina communities. But first of all, I know I'm curious and I'm sure our listeners are too. What path did you take to become a city council member? What were you doing before? Well, before this, I was working in policy at the city council because I was very interested in how we could make laws work for our local neighborhoods and our families. And before that, I worked doing social services at a community-based organization. So I was a community organizer. I was one of these people that like joined their community board to get involved. And I've spent my entire life in my district. So I know it pretty well. So I felt with all of those skills, I felt confident enough to run, which many women do not. So I encourage everyone to run for office if you feel it even a little. And I really feel like my leadership here in this district based on my lived experiences and and all of my professional work, um, I think we're doing good things. Yeah. You sort of said so casually that you were one of those people that, of course, went to community boards and were engaged. But I don't know if that many young people are that engaged. How was that instilled with you into you? Yeah, I I do notice that there is a little bit of a median age. uh, I think it's going down a little bit on some of these like local bodies because people are just just getting more engaged with social media and some of these issues are just so personal for people. I think it was really like my mom, I had a, a great neighbor in the building that I grew up in. I grew up in Section 8 housing, which is a form of subsidized affordable housing. And we had like this one lady that would be in the lobby and she would be giving out flyers and saying, you have to go to this meeting and you have to go to that meeting. And all of these ideas are intersectional and you're young. Get wow. involved. So you got to have somebody that pushes you. So if I could be that person to anyone else, I try to push them, but let them know that I'll be there for support. Does that neighbor happen to know where you are now? <laughs> you know, I think he's uh, she's definitely with me all the time yeah, awesome. um, in my heart. And because she's such an awesome lady, when she passed away, what we did, we, we actually uh, street co-named. We had a co-naming for one of the local streets where I grew up. And so now every time I turn the corner of my block, you'll see her name right there. 
That is incredible. That is awesome. So we wanted to talk to you today about some of the specific challenges facing Latinas when it comes to reproductive rights and justice. A Texas law is currently in effect that bans abortions after six weeks, we know, forcing residents to leave the state to seek abortion care. This is already happening. So about 38.6% of Texas residents who sought an abortion in 2019 were Hispanic compared to about 26% who were white. And that's despite the fact that there are more white women in in the state. Accessing an abortion in Texas hasn't actually been simple for a while now. So how has this lack of access already impacted Latino communities? And how do you think it's going to get even worse? So let's be very, very clear and upfront. Systemic discrimination in our healthcare system has always created barriers for Latinos and other communities of color. But in Texas, for example, where we've seen a lot of news and media coverage, thankfully, about some of the attacks on women's rights and reproductive freedom just in general. Um, In Texas specifically, nearly 40% of that population is Hispanic or Latino. And the average one-way drive, that length to a clinic for these women is increasing from 12 miles to something like 250 miles. And that's according to recent reporting. So for any woman who's making an hourly wage, that's roughly 3.5 hours pay spent just in that one-way drive. And in Texas, the minimum wage is just $7.25 per hour. So this is a trip that many women literally cannot afford. Right. Absolutely. So the abortion debate is often framed as a red state issue. And that's important when we're discussing accessing a fundamental right to end a pregnancy, that that is often true. But reproductive justice and getting to a place where we're treating abortion care as healthcare is kind of a whole separate issue. Can you sort of describe barriers to abortion access that even women in the Northeast in our area face and kind of how you've used your position to address them? Yeah, it it really can be very, very extreme. I mean, you have undocumented women, which is a high population of which reside in the Rio Grande uh, Valley, for example, the barriers to abortion access were already steep. And so traveling out of state is not as easy for them as it may be for others due to internal immigration checkpoints nearly 100 miles in. As you travel further east in the Northeast, you get to cities like ours, of course. Um, You know, in some of these places, it becomes a little bit easier for access, but we really had to make sure in New York City that we were being a leader. So one of the first things that I did when I took office was fight alongside my colleagues in the Women's Caucus to establish the nation's first abortion access fund. So that was an unprecedented $250,000 and went to the New York Abortion Access Fund. It pays direct costs for abortion procedures. It helps upwards of about 600 people each year get the care that they need. And we've renewed that commitment in our budget um, every year since. And other cities have followed suit. I saw Austin. I see others doing something similar and hopefully doing it a little bit better, a little bit more nuanced. So we're learning from each other, but there are just places where they're not going to be able to get to New York or even Austin for that matter. So we really have to look at something very, very hyper locally, but of course, nationally as well. Yeah. Tell us about kind of why you feel so strong about reproductive justice. Was that also something that you grew up sort of witnessing the effects of what an unplanned pregnancy or unexpected pregnancy could mean? Did you sort of see those conversations and those really like devastating calculations being made around you? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. I, I grew up in, in New York City at a time where, um, you know, of course, it's it's it, these issues still remain, but there's such 
a disparity in the education and access. And so that goes for healthcare in general, but for young women, young people, our LGBTQ plus community, just having those resources is, is just fewer and, and further in between. And so as I'm watching, you know, young people grow up or, or maybe become like a teen mom, just knowing that they have options is important. And also you don't get to be a woman my age who, you know, maybe currently doesn't have children without making choices and picking contraception and, and having the privilege of doing family planning, which I know is something that is hard for many, but really it should be easy and accessible for all. So that's what I'm working to do. Um, I know I'm just a New York City Council member, but I think the work that we've done in City Council can and should be repeated in towns and cities across the country. We have to fight in defense of reproductive freedom. We do it for everyone, not just for the residents of our own district, towns, and cities, but watching it unfold kind of in my low-income community growing up certainly made it that much more important for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, do you think it's important to have New York City serve as a model? Because one of the most, I mean, we have the high demand that we, we haven't even approached on a national level. I mean, we're starting to the concept of not only having a right to an abortion, but letting women use the tools like normal healthcare tools. Do you think that it was important for New York City to set a standard to actually assist and in funding this critical health care? Not just saying like, OK, I guess if you have to, but saying we are here to support women and their health. Yeah, all of us who live in places where safe and legal access is protected have an opportunity and a responsibility to take action. So if you're listening to this, I urge you to get in touch with your own local representatives and demand they get serious about municipal action in support of reproductive justice to support equitable access for everyone. We're doing it in New York City. I think it is our obligation. You know, we're supposed to be a national leader and people are looking to us for very progressive um, nuanced, equitable policy. So we're going to keep going and we're going to keep trying to inspire other places throughout the country. Mm -hmm. How else in your role have you seen, I want to pivot sort of to other, as we've been talking about, reproductive justice is an intersectional part of all of this. So what other issues are you noticing um, that are really still challenging the Latino community in this city, um, even a year and a half into the pandemic? What, what, what gaps are there in assistance that you're trying to address? Oh, there are, there's so many, um, you know, there is the impacts of economic inequality on families that last for generations and of course, they're the aftershocks of the disproportionate effects of the pandemic on, on Latinos and other communities of color that cannot be understated. And then the pandemic only exacerbated these issues. So that revealed the holes in our social safety nets, the widening of the income and opportunity gaps. So we're trying to, you know, I, I'm doing my best to, you know, try to address, you know, public housing in our country. We have a large a population of people living in the New York City Housing Authority, which is public housing, and of course, um, access to health care, food, and education. Those are the basics. That is what everyone should have access to. And if we're not, then we're failing that individual. Mm -hmm. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click 
gift mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com, and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And gift mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing, up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. I will start to pivot to our next segment and we'll wait for Millie to come on and finish it with us. But I know your um, identity, you are Puerto Rican and your mother emigrated. What part of Puerto Rico is your family from? So my mom is from this uh, town called Las Marias, which is near Mayagüez, which is on the west side of Puerto Rico. Many p- people are familiar with this place, place called Rincón, where you go for surfing, and it's a very cool town. This is a little bit further into the mountains, and it is famous for uh, this one festival, which is called Festival de la China Dulce, which is uh, China is the Puerto Rican word for orange. So it's the Sweet Orange Festival. So she was born there, came here to New York City, and I was born in Bellevue. Yeah, cool. How old was she when she came here? She was a little kid. It was like the late 50s. So oh, cool. she was she was really young and she came over uh, with my uncle, her brother. Uh, they're about like 11 months apart. So really just kind of growing up mostly in Brooklyn. And um, it was, you know, a time where many Puerto Ricans came over. So it was quite the uh, influx of Boricuas. <laughs> Did she sort of like, I mean, you, you're, the neighborhood you're from in the Lower East Side is very strongly associated with Puerto Rican culture, right? Oh, absolutely. And in yeah. fact, when you see where I grew up, if you look at the street sign, it says Loisida Avenue, which is how the Puerto Ricans would say Lower East Side, Loisida. So it's already there. It's kind of branded. And we still, you know, you have those, the smells of Puerto Rican cooking and the salsa music still kind of emanating from windows all over uh, that area. 
Yeah. Do you have a favorite Puerto Rican food? Oh, yes, definitely. I love, there's something called cuchifritos, which are like these little fried foods that you really should eat in moderation. Um, <laughs> either like bacalaritos, which are like with fish or this thing called like acapurias. And then the other, the other like Puerto Rican food. And actually a lot of Latino cultures have their version of this is called the pastele. So it's like a plantain and it's becomes like uh, like a little patty and you wrap it in grape leaves and you stuff it with olives and you usually eat it in the holidays. It's delicious. I feel I, our producer Jorge is Puerto Rican and I feel like he has his camera off just like nodding like crazy. <laughs> awesome. So this one is a special for our New York City um, oh. interviewees. What's your go-to bodega order? Ooh, I always get a bacon, egg and cheese con ketchup, which is just a BEC, right? With a little bit of ketchup on it. That's my order. I get a coffee, uh, milk, no sugar, and um, they take care of everything. Hey. Hey, Millie. Hi. So happy to be here. <laughs> You're just in time for um, the question that I can't, for the Caso Carada question. Caso Cerrado. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So do you want to um, take it from there? <laughs> yes. If I heard of it, I was like, yeah, it's it's like a telenovela status in in the Latino household. It's like you don't touch the TV when Caso Cerrado is on. Yes, exactly. So um, but I feel like there is that's like a lot of people's first touch into the judicial system. And like laws and like rulings. So I'm just super curious how close is being a council member to (laughs) an episode of Caso Cerrado? Oh, well, there are a lot of similarities. I'm sure that, you know, I'm sure being a council member is just like one big novella. So it is. It is. It's funny because I would say that, okay, there's a few things, right? Because in Caso Cerrado, the issues are always real, right? It's a real case. It's really affecting people. So the issues are always real. The you can't quite tell who is acting and who is like really showing who they are, their authentic self. There's always a lesson to be learned at the end. So very similar to Caso Cerrado. And I remember, I think she had like this case once where there was like a fraudulent claim in a in a purchase of a horse, like a transaction. And I think he almost got an Emmy for that. And if you know, there's a certain New York politician who also got an Emmy for his work. But it doesn't was- count if it got in t- it got taken back. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. It doesn't count. But I will tell you that it's a little bit performative. It's kind of like professional wrestling, right? You're like, it's kind of scripted, but it's real. People can really get hurt. And you pretty much sign an agreement at the end. So I would say for her, what I loved about what I love about her, about the judge, Ana Maria, is that she's this just like strong Latina, right? This Cubana. And she really is direct with people, very blunt, kind of like a tia that you mm-hmm. have in your house. And there's always, you know, a little something to, 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 to learn from at the end. There's always a lesson, you know? So I would say it's, it's very close to politics and um, it's always entertaining. That's amazing. <laughs> I wrote that question as like something very stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but you found- Really elevated it. 
But you you elevated it to new levels. And I'm so glad you took it seriously. Because <laughs> I, I learned so much. <laughs> so in Dominican Republic, I'm Dominican. Um, so so whoop, whoop. Uh, in Dominican Republic, they have a saying in Spanish, which I'm going to translate. They say, don't spit in the air because it always lands in your face. So that's like a Dominican dicho or like saying. So I want to know what your favorite Puerto Rican saying or dicho or like little oh. proverb or anything is. I would say it's dime con quien andas y te diré quien eres. Ooh, that's good. That one's a good one. Can you translate it? Yeah, it basically means like watch the company you keep. It's like birds of a feather type of yeah. thing. Yeah, it's like show me who you hang out with and I'll show you who you are. Like that's the direct translation, but that's, yeah, that's I good. Don't you're walking with who you're hanging with and I'll tell you exactly who you are. Exactly. Oh my God. That's good. Catalina, I'll, see, I'm Here. about to move to the Lower East Side and vote for you again. Hey. <laughs> Thank you to Casabella. She still makes a great chuleta. Yes. And, uh, it's, it's, it's a really awesome place where there's still, you know, the strong Latino culture. Yeah. And, and we're very politically engaged too. So it's clear. I that, think so. Yeah. Yeah. Latinos are a political force to be reckoned with, you know? Yes. I mean, certainly. And we're, we're not a monolith, unfortunately, but because <laughs> there's that we're all over the place. Um, our next question, uh, for me, yeah, for me, like growing up, I always found re- weird things in my fridge, like sofrito. Like I would open up, I think it's a like I can't believe it's not butter container, and I and it's a sofrito, which is like a Spanish seasoning. One time, I had one of those cordless phones that you hit the the beeper like intercom to try to find it. And I couldn't find it for like two hours. And then I opened my fridge and it was in there. So I want to know what's the most surprising thing you've ever found in your refrigerator growing up? Wow. Well, let's see. The refrigerator, I think every, I don't know, people, they put the spoons, you know, you put it, the, you chill the spoons and then you put them on your eyes. Oh. Like to like, you know, deal with the, you know, we're trying to find the beauty remedies. Yeah, but I would say that the weirdest things I would find were in my freezer. I mean, Ooh. I would find like ginger. You would find the sofrito in the ice cube trays. Yes, and I even found Cool Whip. Like it got a little crazy. I, I my mother was like, "Oh, it's like ice cream," and I was like, "It's not." But you know, I <laughs> I get it. It was on sale. You know? Yeah. No. 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 And and you can definitely. Very New York thing that I've done is defrosted Cool Whip on a radiator. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, that's in, that the the spoons. I'm gonna do that right now. So I know some cultures, you know, some Latinos. I don't know what kind of a Latino family you come from, but they have um, coijas, you know, which are like the quilts that have uh like crazy designs like a tiger and any you know so i was just wondering if there's any kuiha design that like really stood out to you that has stayed in your soul forever you know what i feel like the one thing that we would have is well our quotes were very like doily like they were yeah. they somehow looked like they were kind of crocheted huh? 
but you can buy them with perfume and sneakers on Graham Avenue in Brooklyn. Like you can buy a little bit of everything, cortinas, the yes. We, I would see a lot of like tiger decorations in some of the art that my grandfather liked to hang. You know, there would be a lot of women dressed very kind of Wonder Woman and they were usually wrestling some sort of beast. I guess it was kind of honest, but you know, they were very scantily clad. So yeah, there yeah. was some uh, um, a little freestyle in that way, but definitely the 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 coche, the the quilt with the cortinas, that was certainly in this in a very Puerto Rican household that I would uh, be a part of. I learned this week on TikTok that I was pronouncing Graham Avenue wrong, and that it's Graham Avenue. Well, I yeah, I was definitely did not know that, and I live very close to there, so. I feel Graham, like- Graham is a very special place. It might be where the last cuchifrito spot is, which I was saying you can get uh-huh. bacalaitos and your, your fried foods that, of course, you should eat in moderation. <laughs> yeah, eat in moderation. There's a few cuchifritos. I live in Bushwick. There's a quite a few, but there's one that's real popping um, on Myrtle Avenue. Yes. And yeah, 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 yeah. That one, but, you know, I'm always in there ready to ready to take someone down who's trying to skip me in line. <laughs> and I'm like, come on, man, I've been waiting. But yeah, uh, Graham is amazing. Uh, okay, so, you know, you're New Yorkian, and, you know, we're in this, like, cool renaissance of, like, pop culture and stuff, like, with Latin identity. So I just want to know, for you, like, in your in your mind, like, what is the artist or song you feel like best represents your culture? Like, would you feel like it's Bad Bunny or you feel like, is there something more New Yorkian? Uh, Many great songs that I like. Yeah. Un Verano in Nueva York is like... Yes, the, I love that song. Love that song. Oh, another, yeah, exactly. There's another one that, um, this old like song that would, it would say, it was like, Calle Luna, Calle Sol, oh. and it, through all of these like the street names which are in old san juan which is like this really beautiful part of puerto rico that i hope everyone visits but i love me some bad bunny Are you kidding you know someone yeah. and even his 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 slang is like the way that he sings the way that he raps is is so to me quintessential like boricua and mm-hmm. even his sense of style like that's how the 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 young dudes be like on the island and i think yeah. he's so influential and I'm so glad that he is so successful because it just brings that much more attention to that we invented reggaeton. Yeah. That's contested. You know, a lot of people will say Panamanians invented reggaeton, but but I do I do think that's a good point of like Bad Bunny represents like island straight from Puerto Rico culture, but definitely like 70s salsa. Uh, that you know, my parents met in the in the Heights in the seventies, and they were all about the Latin jazz kind of era. And like Un Verano de nu- in Nueva York is like a total great classic Latin song about what it's like to live in New York City in the summer, which is awesome. really like probably very Puerto uh, New Yorkian, uh, you know, thing. So my parents are in the club too. Yeah, my parents. <laughs> well, yeah, I like so. You know, when I say my parents are both Dominican, you know, and they like, I think people think like they met in DR from a small town and they like came here together. And it's like, no, no, no. They were both dating other people. <laughs> they met in a club. And 
I, that's what I love about New York is like a lot of people met in clubs, but it's also like I know people are like Honduran and Greek or like Pakistani, Dominican. And it's like they also met in that one club in Queens in the 70s. Um, OK, well, I have one more question. Thank you so much for your time. Sure. Um, and I guess my final question is, what is one thing you wish everyone knew about what it's like to be uh, a Latinx person in America? I think we are, you know, we are a growing population, right? More than half of the country's total population growth since 2010 can be attributed to an increase in the Latino population. We are here. So we, you know, and we're influencing culture every single day. And, you know, we are poets and, and scientists and politicians and I hope people just realize that, you know, we are working really hard to get a voice at the table to make all of these important decisions. And we're just a talented group of so many different cultures. Like we're, we are not a monolith. Um, and as Latinos, you know, our political power is, is really a matter of simple math. So I hope that people know that, you know, we're here, we're here to stay. Um, we love we just love our cities. We love our neighborhoods so, so much. And I'm just really proud to be, you know, a Puerto Rican girl from Loisida. Ida. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so, so much for your time, council member. Until the end of democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. And I'm Millie Tamaris. And this is the Betches Up podcast. The Betches Sup podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales-Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to suppod at Betches.com. Betches.